Raptors fans. Welcome back to another joyous, rapturous episode of Raptors Review, where we're going to recap a 3-in-1 week all on the road. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Man, this Raptors team is also doing great. I don't understand how we go from losing to the two worst teams in the league to this, but let's try and make sense of this, Aaron. How are you doing first, though? I'm doing great. I am uh, fired up after after watching this uh, this road trip be so successful. The Raptors are are looking like a real playoff team again, and it's got me excited. Yeah. So, do we want to just dive into the games here? Let's like, should we talk about the week as a whole? Like, I don't even know where to start. Let Let's start with the Cleveland game. Let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. So. Coming off of the disaster of losing to Detroit and Orlando, the Raptors uh, again lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Sunday night. That was 104 to 96, extending their losing streak to teams. Uh, things weren't looking too hopeful there. Uh, Freddie's still hurt. Malachi has a hamstring uh, strain, so the Raptors have no point in this game. And they ended up starting uh, Kem Birch, Chris Boucher, uh, <laughs> Pascal, and Scotty all together, along with Gary Trent Jr., which a continuation of their no-spacing lineup that has has just really struggled in offense, and, and this game was no different. Yeah, like, looking at the talent on these two teams, I it, this is not a game that the Raptors should be favored in. Like, Darius Garland was playing for the Cavs and Jared Allen got hurt early on in this game but the Cavs are still a good team like Kevin Love coming off the bench and Evan Mobley was an absolute monster this game like he was dominating on the boards he ended up with 17 rebounds just this was I thought they're honestly I thought the Raptors played well like the results didn't show it they they still ended up losing but I thought they, they played a pretty solid game and like Scotty Barnes really impressed me. He was going toe to toe with Mobley. It was kind of like which rookie can show. They were trying to show each other up um, for this rookie of the year race because Scotty, I thought, had a phenomenal game, and he's had a trend of play recently that is so so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. He's doing. He's creating an offense for himself and other people. And on defense, he, he's he's really coming into his own on defense. He, he's on time with his help. He's not getting blown by as much, and he's he's really using his size and. And just sort of his defensive IQ, he's getting so many steals by jumping passing lanes at the right time. And you just got to love what you're seeing from Scotty right now. Yeah, the <laughs> it's impossible to put a ceiling on his potential at this point. But every single game right now, I'm like, oh, my goodness, am I am I too low on Scotty? Like, it, like he finished this game with 19 points, 12 rebounds and then six assists and three steals and yeah, like he's just looking so much more comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's whipping like one-armed passes around the floor now, and his handle in particular looks a lot tighter recently. He's more confident attacking guys off the dribble. Like, it's honestly... <laughs> I don't want to get too high on him and get too carried away here, but like he is a superstar in the making, and I feel so confident in saying that. Yeah, me, me too. Right now, I think his go-to offensive thing is, is get a guard switched on you and just and just bang them into the back of the basket and and you know get a hook shot, you know get get something, create something, you know attract some help, make a make an easy pass. But what he's doing is exactly what the Raptors need him to do. It's creating offense, and that's what this team struggles with, and he's helping there. And 
I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I always say like rookies are hardly ever helpful players, but Scotty is legitimately one of the better players on this team, even amongst the starters, right? Like, I think he's playing, you know, he's playing up to Pascal's level, I would say, as in this week. Like, it's been, it's been so encouraging. Even he's had some games that are even better than Pascal. And when you're talking about a guy that, should have made the all-star team this year that's uh, he, he's doing some special stuff right like it and he's not giving it back on the defensive end which we could say earlier in the season when he was hitting shots but the defense sucked it was like just an average player but no he's been just a huge positive for the raptors this week so you know, the like i don't know if it's gonna last but it's been so so encouraging yeah and, and one thing in particular as well is the stretches of passe play where he's really kind of just floating around and not being active in the offense those are getting fewer and fire between he he seems much more aggressive and locked in and trying to find ways to contribute and yeah it's just i don't know it's it's so exciting yeah and he's he's a man like most rookies i talk about the the rookie wall a lot because they play like 30 games in college right and they come to the nba and there's an 82 game regular season so usually like after the all-star break he's kind of often really start to suffer if they've been playing you know 35 minutes a game for the entire season but scotty's still like he's getting better and better uh, which is just bodes so well for him physically in the nba that he's a like able to play this load and do this much but then be like not get hurt and and just you know be able to be out there for so much is, is so encouraging because a lot of players you know they, they can do this you know, once they're in their third or fourth season, but it's it's tough to do right away, and he's doing it. Yeah, yeah, and the rate of improvement—it's like he's clearly gotten better over the course of the season, and you just kind of wonder what a whole off season of NBA training is going to do. What's he going to look like next year? Yeah, like <laughs> I hope he gets a lot this of rest. Just, but... This potential is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cer- certainly, like this is this coming Scotty's team in Cleveland. He played 40, uh, 42 minutes. Uh, but let, let's sort of finish up this game. Uh, Precious, I thought, you know, his, his style line didn't look great. His plus minus wasn't great. But I like what we see continuing him being aggressive on offense. Um, but, you know, this game, I thought about Cleveland, like they looked like a team that knew what they were doing out there. They knew where each other were going to be. They got lots of open threes and they only hit 11 out of 36 threes. But like a lot of them are really nice looks and just the, the level of passing that this team has, you know, interior passing and just getting guys lots of nice dunks is you know, this team is clearly, you know, together, well coached and know what they're trying to do. And I think that's why they're still competing now with Jared Allen having broken his finger and being out for, you know, depending on how severe that break is, that could be six plus weeks, right? Like that's the rest of the season. I think the the Raptors have a really good chance to overtake Cleveland and, and get the six seed. Yeah, certainly with the way they're playing, like this loss hurts for that climb in the standings. But you look at the trajectory of these teams right now, and Cleveland is sliding absolutely. And I mean, hey, I didn't think the Raptors were going to be able to win many games this week, and they they proved me wrong. And so now it's all of a sudden, it it, sal- it really salvages that those two really bad losses last week um, to the point where it's just like, okay, this team now has a real shot again at the sixth seed. I totally agree with you. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about this game is there was a hilarious stretch in the third quarter. At the end of the third, the last three minutes there, the Raptors had a lineup out there of Delano Banton, Svi, Boucher, Thad, and Precious. 
And you just look at that lineup and with the way Svi has played this year, it's like, who is creating shots here? They tried to get Svi some touches, just did not work. The Raptors did not score a single point in those three minutes, but they also only gave up one point to Cleveland on free throws. And so it's just a stretch of three minutes in the game where the score basically didn't change. And like the Raptors got pretty lucky that they could just get away with that lineup because it's just there's no offense there and like the zero points make sense it's not an anomaly yeah that third quarter was particularly bricktastic it was uh, toronto actually won that quarter by scoring 16 points to cleveland's 14 (laughs) so not a not a strong quarter their team and you know that's been the struggle with freddie out and is just you know, finding lineups that can that can do anything on offense, even whether it's like offensive rebounding and just mashing, which is what they resorted to later in the week. But uh, you know, it's been it's been tough with this uh, Freddie less stretch here. Yeah, the other the other part of this game that we haven't really mentioned yet, Gary Trent's struggles continued. Uh, he this is part of a big slump that he's been having shooting wise and we're kind of seeing some of the streakiness that we saw last season even when he joined the team where he had a really hot start and then shooting slump like overall in the season he's still shooting great percentages especially from three but it's like it does come and go he has these really hot stretches and then has these really cold stretches and you can kind of get a sense of it in the like first quarter of the game if he starts bricking like five shots in a row uh it usually doesn't get salvaged from that point on (laughs) yeah but you know when you're when you're gary trent you're the only shooter on this team sometimes you just got to keep throwing them up and hope they go in because this did so badly yeah let's talk about this game the raptors needed this game so badly losing three in a row to teams you know that you know cleveland is an acceptable loss but the other teams when they needed to stop this slide so in cleveland you know, you're getting, I think, the best shot that the Spurs could give you because Pop is tied for the all-time wins record for a coach. And so, you know, they, they want to win that game for sure. And the Raptors uh, had a nice win, 119-104. to 104. It was a little bit closer than that score would suggest. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of this game? What was your read on it, Ben? This game was Freddie's first game back from his knee soreness. And... He did so much work for them this game, getting the offense back in flow. Like he finished with 26 points. And it just the difference he made in just like salvaging possessions where the ball wasn't going anywhere and he would just create something. It was, it was such a breath of fresh air for this team. And I think it kind of eased everyone else's load, like gave Siakam an easier job. Scotty Barnes also finished like finished the game with 20 points here. Like Fred just having another talented offensive player makes such a difference for this team and so that i thought was the difference like fred carried here yeah he absolutely did got to the free throw 10 times which is just for him that's an astronomical number it probably probably a career high i haven't looked it up but it probably is uh but you know the rest of the raptors starters like scotty barnes was 8 of 12 and a game from him and precious Achua continuing his his hot play 3 of 5 from the three point line you know, just love that he's being aggressive shooting the ball because often he's playing with the Raptors bench and the spacing is way worse than the starters even. So love seeing him continue to be aggressive. Yeah, Precious is now up to 37% from the three-point line this season. This A lot is of them some... are swishes too. It, look, it looks yeah, good. This is something we need to keep an eye on. I like I hadn't fully bought in last week when he had a stretch of a few good games, but now like 
that stretch is getting longer and longer here and all of a sudden kind of starting to believe that Precious is a shooter. And this is such a huge development for him as a player. Like all of a sudden on offense, he can space the floor. And then he's also like, he's so comfortable slashing when someone's closing out on him. And like that gives him actually freedom to slash because when he just tries to go and his guy's sagging off in the paint waiting for him and can take a charge or whatever, it doesn't work. But if someone has to close out on him, that just gives him the freedom to do that. And I think it's going to open up a lot for his game. This is a very, very exciting development. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another another player that I want to talk about this game, Gary Trent, didn't shoot well. He was only two of eight from three, but he still got to 17 points, got to the line a few times, and you know did it did enough out there to the you know the Spurs still respect him as a shooter. So you know even though he wasn't playing great, it, it still just it makes so much more sense when you have both Freddie and Gary Trent out there. Yeah, and even with like Gary's shooting struggles like we talked about, it's he's still playing the right way. I think he's doing the things the team wants him to do. And so even if uh, you look at his box scores and like, oh, this isn't super impressive, uh, he he's filling a role on the team, taking shots that they absolutely need him to take. And so nothing nothing to be angry about with his play. Yeah, and do we want to pop got the the win record the next game against Utah and. You know, this is as we've seen some history this season with the NBA. Uh, Steph Curry had that uh, record-breaking three-pointer in in uh, Madison Square Gardens against the Knicks. You know, to give him the all-time three-point record, and one record that we haven't really talked about enough, I think, is LeBron has the all-time points record, and people are are like are not giving him that because. It includes playoffs, but isn't that more impressive that that he has the all-time point record, including playoffs, that, than just the regular season all, all-time point record? Right? Like that certainly feels more impressive to me. <laughs> like scoring the playoffs is count. way harder, right? And it's yeah. like he's leading his team to all these finals where he's getting all these games, right? Like it's him producing this stuff that's even more difficult than the regular season. Like why do we care? That, that yeah. he doesn't have the all. I don't know, but he's gonna get that record next season. So, it, but still, it's also funny that he's never really considered among the all-time great scorers. Like people don't put him in. I feel like they people don't put him in that conversation that often. But LeBron is just. I mean, he's so good at everything, and so I guess it's like people don't want to just box him in as just a scorer because he does everything. But yeah, he. I think he's the goat. Yeah, and you know, as he as he continues to get these records, I think his resume will be you know, stronger and stronger when we look back at it in 10, 20 years if if he's retired by then. Uh, but let's let's get back to yeah. the pop record here. Uh, my angle on it is like, how difficult of a record is this? Is this to break for for a coach? Like, are are we going to see this record switch hands again? Because he's been with the Spurs for like 25 years now and they've been good for pretty much the entire stretch of that minus this last two years well i think uh with scotty barnes probably being a superstar for the next 20 years i think nick nurse is the person to you know steal this (laughs) by the end of his career uh yeah no this is gonna be this is gonna be a really tough one to break i guess eric spolstra yeah that was the guy i was thinking yeah um and the heat just seemed to always have winning teams and so 
that's one guy that by the end of his career you'd look at him and see maybe okay he can he has a chance but yeah yeah i think this is a truly impressive record Spolstra has a chance to coach for like 40 years in the league at that, you know, which is that that's the point where you're getting to where you're a competitive team, you make playoff runs, all that stuff. Like you're going to get all those wins. I think he has a shot, but certainly like this is, this is a tough record to beat. Yeah. I wonder how much the NBA is going to change in the next 20 years. Like it's the other thing is you have no idea if coaches are going to be able to stay relevant. Like they might be coaching robots 20 years from now, you know, like who knows what things are going to look like. I think some some of these coaches are, are so good and they've been adapting their whole careers that I feel like they're going to last through anything. Cause they're going to be the people that are driving the changes for the league, not the other way around. Uh, so, yeah, but, for uh, sure. and he has that sort of that, that clout that, you know, because coaches it's not just about x's and o's and and sort of seeing how the game's developing it's also a lot about you know respect and you know having that uh, consistency in the organization around you and he has all those other things so even if the game changes a lot to where he's no longer like a great basketball mind i think he'll have the people around him and you know the organizational structure to to keep being successful yeah for sure yeah he's definitely the one to keep tabs on for that record um but there's a reason Pop is considered the greatest coach of all time. Like he's very deserving, even though I'd say right now he isn't a great coach in the NBA. Yeah, um, I think he's probably just, a below average coach at this point. But just still, historically, yeah. it's yeah, he's had a special career. Absolutely. So uh, let's move on to the next game, and this to me was the game of the week: the Raptors playing the Phoenix Suns, who are still rolling, even though uh, Chris Paul is out. Gary Trent was just nuclear this game. He absolutely snapped out of his slump. 40, was it 41 points? 42 points. 8 of 11 from 3. 8 of 8 from the free throw line. Just absolutely torching the Suns here. This game ended up being super close. The The Suns had a lead in the fourth quarter. At one point, the final score here was 117 to 112. So many different things to talk about this game, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, this game was all about Gary Trent because Siakam and Freddie struggled from the field. Like Siakam was 10 of 24. Fred was three of 11. He just couldn't get anything going. And Gary was the guy that the Raptors kept looking to over and over. And I thought they did a good job at getting him looks like those threes weren't just him taking step backs and creating his own shot. They were good about like driving into the paint and then hunting for where Gary was and getting him the ball with a little bit of space so he could get his shots off. And so that was really impressive to me. The other guy on the Raptors who I thought had a great game was Scotty Barnes. He had five steals this game and his defense was so active. He he was just all over the place. Two blocks as well. Like defensively, he was super impressive. And you like see his length and how he can just disrupt plays and yeah, just just a really good team effort here. Yeah, I thought the Phoenix length really gave uh, Freddie like huge huge problems this game. He also had five turnovers. Like it, this was a rough game from Fred VanVleet. But I think where Gary Trent benefited a lot was that put Cameron Payne, who is their smallest and worst defender, on uh, on Gary Trent Jr. As opposed to you know once he got hot, they didn't switch and put Miguel Bridges on him. They kept him on Freddie, and it was. It was, I don't know, questionable to me. Like, Freddie wasn't having a great game. I don't know why they didn't try to shut down Gary Trent Jr. instead. 
but you know the rap kept riding Gary Trent Jr. But this game in the fourth quarter, the Suns made uh, a change, uh, like an, an, an adaptation, and they put out two centers. They put out, uh, I think it was DeAndre Ayton uh, and Bismack Biombo out there together, uh, and he was out there for a bit as well. To where they had this Twin Towers lineup that where their centers are much bigger than the Raptors centers, some offensive rebounds. Um, did you think that adjustment made much of a difference? It did for a while, like because the Raptors, <laughs> so much of their offense is predicated on missing shots and getting offensive rebounds and just scrapping around the basket, like trying to post up a smaller guard. Like early on in the game, it's like Cameron Payne or Landry Shamit. If one of those guys was on, they would be trying to take them into the post. Um, and so having these twin towers protecting the paint just makes that game plan for the Raptors so much more difficult. So it definitely disrupted their offense. But then on the flip side, near the end of the game, we saw the Raptors adapt and just start doubling Devin Booker to get the ball out of his hands. And when you have that limited spacing with either Bismack or JaVale McGee in the game, like you can kind of just leave them and <laughs> have one person zoning the paint. And so they were able to really successfully double booker and then all of a sudden the phoenix suns offense imploded they forced a bunch of turnovers and so like it kind of (laughs) it worked defensively for the suns but then when the raptors on the other side could also force turnovers and fast break then all of a sudden these centers are lumbering back and the raptors fast breaks take off and so i think near the end of the game it kind of backfired but it took a while for the raptors to really fully adapt to the strategy the the adjustment that the raptors made totally made sense where they they were forcing the ball out of Devin Booker's hands and, and they got those those key steals. But I thought that earlier in the fourth quarter, like this was just Phoenix hitting a ton of tough mid-range shots, a lot of floaters, and I thought the Raptors played great defense and you know they just they just weren't getting the, the right results from it, but they stuck with it. And even though they were getting kind of clamped by Phoenix down the stretch, they ended up being able to turn over Phoenix to get their offense going, which uh, which ended up being just enough. But this is a great win for the Raptors team because Phoenix is, they, we saw how they play, like they're together, they know where each other go, and they know how each other's games work. And this, this is a really solid team, even though uh, Chris Paul is out. But I think we saw a little bit of, of why people aren't, people including myself, aren't crazy high on Phoenix as a, as a playoff threat, just because the, the, they don't have that top end talent where, you know, Devin Booker is really nice, but just the offensive creation and shot making isn't at the highest level it could be when you compare them to sort of the other elite stars that, that exist in this league. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that take. They're a very well-rounded, disciplined, well-coached team too. Like, I thought they play, they play very intelligently, but yeah, it, it's tough to fully believe in them as like, having the highest ceiling for any team in the West. And so there's always going to be questions there, but there's just, I mean, with the West this year, there's no guarantee that any of these other teams achieves their ceiling. So certainly very possible that they come out, but yeah, I wouldn't have them as the odds on favorite. For sure. And the the record this year in, in clutch games, I think with Chris Paul, it's like 22 and three, which is just absurdly good, right? And, you know, you have to, like, if you're looking at sort of where teams are regression-wise, you know, if you were to replay the season, like, they probably wouldn't be that good in the clutch. So I think this team is is maybe a bit overrated. But, you know, in saying that, they're still one of the best teams in the league. And, and 
even though they're missing their best player, they're still a really tough out. But you know, kudos to the Raptors and, and Kerry Trent especially for for being able to win this game. Yeah, like th- th- this game is really <laughs> on the back of Gary Trent because if he has another slumping game, this Raptors offense is stuck in mud. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the rest of the Raptors were pretty much stuck in mud. It was only Gary Trent that was that was getting it done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he bailed them out here. But you know what? He was due for one. He was due for one. He'd been slumping for like two straight weeks, and he was definitely part of why the Raptors lost some of those earlier games. And so makes up for it and gets a huge W here. Yeah. Oh, my God. I got to talk about the Phoenix announcing crew. And they are so whiny the biggest homers just if you're if you're not a phoenix fan it's unwatchable they have one of the worst announcing crews in the league yeah eddie johnson former nba player uh he yeah he was such a homer <laughs> there was one play where <laughs> precious achua got like devin booker flagrant fouled him on a fast break yeah and they're just like he all, got ball. all ball like what <laughs> what is this uh, <laughs> phoenix are challenges like, oh my god <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, okay, you are delusional. Yeah, that was like um, a textbook flagrant foul. And they're talking about it like it shouldn't have been called as a foul. You know, yeah, just just yeah. embarrassing from, from their team. And I, I know the Raptors announcers can be homers at times too. And I, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of the Raptors announcing crew. But, you know, maybe maybe I was just spoiled. We, we had a good stretch of the opponents announcing crews being, being very, like, very good and very unbiased. Mm-hmm. All right, should we talk about this Denver game, oh, this spicy such, Denver Nuggets game? Such a fun game from the Raptors. They played so well, and you know, let's let's give some context for this game. It's uh, the you know their last game on the road trip for for this week, and they're going to go to LA, and where they're playing uh, the Lakers on Monday, and they just come from this huge win against Phoenix, and you know this is ripe for a letdown game. They have no point guards out there. You know, Malachi is hurt. Freddie's hurt. Uh, he has his knee soreness again after after that game against Phoenix. And they come out with no point guard. They play these huge lineups, and they just absolutely bludgeon the Nuggets. Absolutely beat them <laughs> to death. I want to talk about the, the box score here. Normally, the box score is not a great indication of what went on in the game. The Raptors had 23 offensive rebounds to Denver's nine, so plus 13 uh, there. And the Nuggets had 19 turnovers to the Raptors' seven, which meant that the Raptors had 102 field goal attempts to the Nuggets' 78. And it, they just absolutely <laughs> beat them to death in the possession battle. And it was it was so joyous to watch. The, they just, like, not no spacing, just four guys in the paint just tipping the ball and getting offensive rebounds and layups. It was... It was a masterpiece. Yeah, I think we need to give a shout out to Chris Boucher with nine offensive rebounds this game. He's had a really good stretch of play recently. I don't think we mentioned it in the Cleveland game, but I thought he was like an X factor in that game and kept that game really close. Uh, Mm -hmm. He had a fantastic game there as well. And I think with this recent stretch of wins here, what we're seeing is a lot of the Raptors role players starting to contribute a lot more. Chris Boucher has been playing great. Precious Achua with his threes and just like his confidence. He's actually playing well and contributing a little bit more on offense along with his usual great defense. And then this game, we need to talk about Scotty freaking Barnes here. Oh my 25 God. points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. You said they had no point guard. 
Scotty was the point guard this game, dishing dimes right, left, and center, and just like so good. Like this is the game where it's like, holy shit, what can't this guy do? This was Scotty Burns, I think, best game of the season, like all around. You know, he brought it on defense, he brought it on offense. He did everything for this team. You know, the 25, like the stat line looks amazing. And, you know, two of four from three, like he shot those when he needed to. It was, you know, this, this team still has very little spacing out there and they, they did manage to hit 12 threes, but it was, you know, he was he was the one that was sort of leading the charge into the paint when they had these, these huge lineups out there and getting guys the ball or getting shots in the paint himself. Yeah, yeah. And the other part of this game... That I know last time we played the Nuggets, DeMarcus Cousins had a really good stretch of play that kind of kept the Nuggets in the game when Jokic was off and like held held serve essentially with the bench. In the third quarter of this game, that did not happen. And he had a really bad stretch of play with turnovers, complaining to the refs, mm-hmm. just like missed shots, forcing things. And it led to a Raptors run that kind of sealed the deal on the game and let the Raptors pull away. Um, and so it was kind of like, you know, I thought Boogie helped them win the last game, and then this game he pretty much lost it for them. And so it was like, you, you, the highs and lows of Demarcus Cousins. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And when when Jokic was out there, the Nuggets felt so unstoppable because the Raptors were having to. Know, double him or send help before he even got the ball and like he, they, the Raptors did a great job limiting his touches but it just led to so many open lanes for the Nuggets guards to get in the paint and get layups or kick the ball out for open threes and yeah they were playing a box and one on Jokic at one point <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know Bones Highland hit five threes but this you know this Raptors defense you know for the first three quarters maybe two and a half quarters was wasn't great and that's why the nuggets got to 115 but they really stepped it up in the in the, in the last part of the game and, and played you know fantastic defense where they were all helping and active and really locked in on denying Jokic the ball and he still ended up with 26 points but he only got 13 shots off and you know he was he was masterful and fantastic but uh you have to think of this as a playoff game he'd get more than 30 minutes but <laughs> maybe this game would be tougher to win but uh certainly as a raptors fan will take it yeah i was pretty surprised at how long they rested him for i kept kind of looking around I was like why is Jokic still not in this game and i uh, i guess they're just trying to manage his minutes at this point and they're okay with taking a few extra losses um but yeah, this uh, Gary Trent in this game as well slid back to earth. Uh, two of thirteen, kind of went back into slump mode here, and the Raptors still scored 127 points. Kind of just goes to show you, like everyone else is really stepping up to the plate and contributing here. Like Siakam again, brilliant. Yeah, Siakam had a great game, just like Scotty. They were getting to the paint pretty much at will. The Nuggets guards are just such a liability against these guys. They're so like they're they're small, like they're they're frail. Even if they're like Will Barton's like a long guy, but he's very thin. And Raptors are just using their their muscle advantage just constantly be putting these guys underneath the basket and just, you know, shouldering through them to get to the rim. And yeah, the Nuggets defense, you know, they they've been a pretty good defense this season. But just this is not a good matchup for them because they just don't have the the strength or the length to compete with you know the Raptors, bullies, and and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. 
Yeah, and the offensive rebounding would be Jokic versus three Raptors players who are all 6'9 and just hopping around. And the Nuggets guards are just standing there watching and they're like not even trying to box out. They're just like, oh, hopefully one of our tall guys gets it because uh, we're not getting into the paint. We're not getting rough and dirty here. Yeah, I want to shut it soft. Precious Achua, this game hit four threes, you know, continuing continuing to shoot well, which is which is great to see. Thaddeus Young uh, played really well. This was just his, one of his better games as a Raptor. But, you know, really contributing to that active defense. He, he had a bunch of strips on people and ended up with three steals. Uh, it's a great game for him. And Delano Banton, only one of four from the field, but he played he played uh, 17 minutes. So, like, he was, he was essentially, like, the backup point guard to Armani Brooks, who I want to talk about in a bit. But he had five assists this game and was getting to the paint and, and distributing really nicely and led to a bunch of easy layups for the Raptors. So I thought, I thought he was, he was great as well. Yeah, absolutely. Some of those passes were very nice. It was like, yes. okay, okay, man, he's getting confident too. Like you're just seeing yeah. all these players elevating their play and it's very, very encouraging because <laughs> we, I mean, we've talked about this to death over the course of the year. It's like the role players have been the problem and now they're, they're kind of finally figuring out how to play and how to contribute consistently. And it's, it's turning the season around a little bit. I want to talk about Armani Brooks here for a second. He started the game against the Nuggets because the Raptors had no point guards. And I think they wanted to match up better with the, with some of the size of, or lack of size with, with the Nuggets. And he was one of four from the field, one of four from three. I thought he did a great job just getting out of the way and, just not taking up any possessions and like sort of doing doing the bare minimum out there. We'd run and do triple handoffs, and he took some open threes when, when he needed to. But you know, overall, like it was as far as you know, having a guy step into your team with basically you know not having been on your team and having to play like twenty one minutes this game, not bad, not bad. It was very Malachi Flynn esque, but he's a little bit bigger, which is nice. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, he didn't really contribute anything. Like I don't know what what he's capable of on offense because he yeah, he was playing hot potato with the basketball. Um it's tough to tell what he can do. I thought his defense was pretty solid, although there was a few stretches where like they were playing one three one zone at one point and he was kind of like a little bit lost on when he needed to rotate to certain spots. Like there was definitely some blown coverages there. But I mean it's to be expected when he's just brand new on this team and they play a lot of complicated defensive schemes. It's like, you can't really fault him. I do think it's curious that he's getting so much play when there's other guys on this Raptors bench that like kind of feel like they would contribute the exact same thing. Like Yuda or Justin Champagny, like why is he getting minutes over them, Aaron? Do you have a good reason for that? I think the Raptors just don't really trust them to, to make decisions and and shoot the ball with confidence. And maybe Armani Brooks just hasn't hasn't played enough to have that confidence be shattered. But uh, you know, given like how how he ended up playing, like he was he was clearly the worst Raptor out there. But he just he just didn't really actively hurt you. And I think those guys might have actively hurt them on offense. Mm, interesting. I kind of also wonder if like they just signed him to a 10 day and they want to see if he can play at all. Um, and so they're like, okay, hey, we need to get him some minutes this game just to see 
what he can do, get a real sample size. Um, versus the other guys, they, you know, they're more known quantities. And so they're always going to be there. They're part of this roster for the rest of the season. So maybe that's factoring into the decision-making here as well. Yeah, we often see when the Raptors sign guys to 10 days that they haven't uh, haven't seen before. They often give them a little bit of play just to sort of see what they can do. Um, yeah. Let's Before we talk about the standings in the East, let's talk about the schedule. And holy crap, am I excited for the schedule this week. We are playing my second favorite team in the league twice, the Los Angeles What Lakers. team is that, Aaron? I, I don't think we would have any clue... What that team is because we don't talk about them ever on this podcast. Yeah, the nameless, dramaless, suffering and notoriety. Yeah, without any attention, the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, no one ever talks about them. Yeah, we got two two more games on this road trip, both in LA. We got the Lakers on Monday night and then the Clippers on Wednesday night. At least it's not a back-to-back. Both those games are at 10.30, though. It's going to be tough to stay up for those. Oh, those are going to be next morning games for me. Yeah, those are going to be watching the next day for sure. Um, and then Friday night, we finish off the week with a home game against the Lakers, finally back in Toronto. So it's all L.A. this week. The Lakers are basically dead, and it's just like LeBron trying to do cpr on the team and like squeaking out a few last gasps here like they got a 50 point lebron performance for a win this week but this team seems just so broken westbrook is terrible like that hasn't been fixed at all anthony davis is hurt i don't know when he's coming back um i'm assuming not this week but aaron do you have any idea off the top of your head i have no additional intel i haven't heard anything but I yeah. see no reason to rush him back because your, your place in the standings, if you're like, is not changing. They're ninth in the West, so they're going to be in that plan because they are six games back behind the Clippers. And, you know, the Clippers are a competent team. And the Pelicans are the only other team in the West that is trying to make the plan. So I feel like it's going to be the Pelicans and Lakers fighting for that uh, that nine seed. Who can, have home, who can have home court in that all-important game? So then hopefully they're going to play the loser of the 7-8 game, which there's still some, uh, I think the Clippers are pretty clearly locked into the 8 seed, but then who gets the 7 seed is, is, is a lot of teams are still in the running there, including Minnesota, Denver, you know, Dallas, even Utah could slip there as well. But uh, you know, certainly we'll be watching that. Yeah. But the, Lakers, the Lakers are pretty locked into the 9 or the 10 slot at this point. Yeah, and... This is this game I'm excited for because it's basically it's just LeBron versus the world and their defense. Some of the, some of the guys they're playing are just like so bad defensively that I feel like the Raptors are gonna just be able to feast here. Um, I don't see how they're gonna be able to deal with the Raptors' size because they basically haven't been playing Dwight Howard anymore, and you you have to think they're gonna play Dwight Howard against the Raptors because how are they going to compete, you know, with LeBron as, as the only big, you know, Melo, is he going to box out Chris Boucher? Like, you know, for, for 30 minutes, I don't know. Like it's, I feel like these, these games are going to be really ugly for the Lakers because the Raptors bring the effort and the Lakers do not. Yeah. And they're going to try and force the ball out of LeBron's hands, let Russell Westbrook do his thing. And, you know, <laughs> we've seen how that's worked for the Lakers this season. So, Definitely eyeing those Lakers games as victories for the Raptors. Uh, and those are games they should really try and take advantage of a struggling team right now. The Clippers, 
a little bit of a different story. They are just like a very solid team. They're not super talented, but like Reggie Jackson's been playing really well this season, I feel like. And they're a really well-coached team, disciplined. They play smart. And so you're going to have to work for this win. But they're kind of, they almost remind me of like Phoenix Light. You know, they're not nearly as talented as Phoenix, but they play like a very well-rounded style and so you're gonna have to earn your victory here but they're a totally beatable team yeah certainly if if freddie's healthy and playing in in that game you have to favor the raptors there i think but uh, you know even with the way the raptors are playing now you know you'd hope that they would have like because the clippers generally play small inside of zubash and the raptors could could hopefully (laughs) beast the way that they did against uh against denver but uh yeah, we'll have to see how that goes, but I think the Raptors should probably be favored in every game this week. Yeah, I, I think so at this point, especially with this last little stretch. If if the role players keep playing like this, like Scotty Barnes, if this stretch of play for him continues, this team's getting scary. This team is getting scarier, and I'm excited. All of a sudden, I was so down two weeks ago when they just lost those games and now all of a sudden rejuvenated this team is back baby yeah they're back they're looking they're looking threatening and if they can get out of of that playing game because i i don't i don't like their odds in a playing game against brooklyn although you know if there's no Kyrie, it looks a lot better but that's the thing like this game the raptors are now comfortably three games ahead of brooklyn for that seven spot and they're only one game behind cleveland but if they're at that seven spot, Kyrie won't be coming to Toronto. And so who knows where Ben Simmons will be at? This could just be a Kevin Durant team. It doesn't sound like Joe Harris is going to be back this year. Brooklyn might not be so scary. I mean, Kevin Durant's always scary, but it won't have a lot of help. So could be totally winnable. Agreed, but I like just getting to the six seed here. And oh, yeah. <laughs> like. You know, the, the whatever the, the, I mean, hopefully Chicago can get the three season if that's the case, because that one, you know, I think the Raptors actually have a shot in that series. Not sure if they do yeah, against that would be Milwaukee such a fun series. or Miami. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, six seed or you know, getting into the playoffs, that would be a huge success for the Raptors this season. And it, it seems like it's attainable with how they're playing now. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. man. Let's dive into the emails. We got a few of them this week. I'll read the first one here from Nathan. Um, He says, I really enjoyed the pod. The last pod where you guys went over the performance of the Raptors players. One disagreement I have is with the grade for OG. You guys aren't as high on his season, citing his lower efficiency and a step down in defense. However, I want to provide a counter argument and say that OG has made the most improvement from last season to this season. OG has gone from being a disaster dribbling the ball to being capable of mediocre drives. We no longer have to worry about him dribbling the ball off his feet when he changes in direction. And this is such a huge improvement from where he was at before. Even though it doesn't translate to more winning right now, uh, I feel that you have to be higher than ever on the trajectory of OG's career after the season. There's almost no chance that OG ends up just being Danny Green anymore, which was a worry previously. I've been very impressed because it's my belief that going from having no on-ball game to having some is the most difficult step to take. I feel like when we evaluate OG's uh, on ball game we should treat him like a rookie in that area where it's painful at first but focus on the good flashes hopefully in a year or two it will be developed into a dangerous weapon also on the subject of scotty burns what do you think he should focus off focus on in the off season i think it should be footwork what do you guys think ben let's let's jump into the og question first 
What's your take on this? Were we too hard on OG and Adobe? I don't think so. So here's where I defer from Nathan Zima. I think he's got some interesting points here, but I disagree that the hardest step to take is going from like no on-ball skills to a few on-ball skills. I think the hardest step is to get good enough at that that you're actually efficient against the best defenders in the league. Um, like that's when you go to that star status and you can just get the ball and get buckets on anyone. And OG just seems so far away from that. Like he's struggling. He struggled pretty much against every team to get to be efficient this season. And so like until he can do that efficiency on any kind of consistent basis, I don't believe that the skills are that useful because you're never going to want him to be taking those shots unless he's actually good at those shots. And so just because he's taking them now, the fact that he's not good at them, it's like, that's still the hardest part to get to. And so I am still skeptical that he's going to reach that. I think it's not, it is like, maybe we're a little bit too hard on him because it is like a step in the right direction that he's even taking those shots. Right. Um, but I think the still the hardest step yet is to come when he becomes actually good at them. What do you think, Aaron? I, I agree with you, and I disagree with Nathan's point here. I think his dribbling is still a, a major weakness, and it really prevents him from using all his athleticism and strength to, to get to the rim. And that was a weakness before, but I don't think he's really improved on it that much. Just because he's doing more of it, it still looks bad, and it still seems like a weakness. So I don't, I don't think the improvement that Nathan's talking about is actually, is actually really much of an improvement at all. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we were fair on OG, but yeah, I mean, I definitely saw improvement. Like he was doing some more crossovers and things that he just wouldn't have even tried before. It's just. It just feels like it's he's in you know he's at the bottom of the mountain still and there's there's this huge thing left to climb, and so it, it's just most players don't ever climb that in their careers and the, if he hasn't done it by the time he's 24 yet, like it, it could it could still happen. I'm not writing it off. It's just seems unlikely at this point. I think you have to bet on the under for him becoming like this consistent all star player. Um, is it possible he makes one all-star team at some point in his career? Like he has a good scoring year and it's healthy. <laughs> maybe, but yeah. I don't know. It's just, I don't see him being kind of that second or third banana in an offense. Yeah. I think the hope for the Raptors is that he can sort of be inefficient, but not that inefficient and play on bench units to prop up their offense a bit, or at least be a guy that can initiate the offense for them. But you know, yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen that be successful yet. But you know, it did look good in the preseason, which is, I think, why we were all expecting more coming into this season. And maybe we're being too hard because we saw it work at one point, and now it's it's completely gone. But uh, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't think the preseason should count very much. Yeah, yeah. I think I expected him to take more of a jump this season than he did, and so the fact that that jump didn't come was what docked him maybe a couple marks here um because at the end of the day he's still a great player and super useful for the team but i'm with you and i don't think we were too hard on him all right should we talk about scotty barnes here what do we think he needs to focus on in the offseason honestly at this point the way he's playing getting just, healthy <laughs> staying healthy just yeah just keep like icing those knees i don't know just keep doing what he's doing recently the handle has looked so clean like i that was earlier on in the season that was one of the big things i wanted to focus on is be a better ball handler so he can navigate those pick and rolls and 
kind of take more of the lead on offense and do point Scotty things. But that already seems to be improving. I think getting more consistent on the shot is important. Nathan suggests footwork here. His footwork is interesting because he does a lot of unorthodox things in the post where he's like jumping sideways into his hook shots and stuff. He's not using a lot of traditional footwork. But I kind of think some of that unorthodoxy works to his advantage where guys are just caught off guard by when he goes up for his shots and they're not able to block him. And so I don't necessarily see it as a huge problem at this point. What about you? Yeah, I, I don't see the, the, the footwork being a weakness at all. I think what he really needs to work on is just the, the three-point shooting, You know, getting comfortable taking off-the-dribble threes. We saw in the last couple of games where they're doing more points, Scotty, and they spread the floor, and it's just him attacking, let's say, a center, right? And it's like he, you know, he starts going downhill, he gets to the three-point line. It'd be great if, with the center's back pedaling, if he could just stop and take the shot, right? That would be that would be a big uh, development for him to make driving the ball easier for him, and then also just you know the catch and shoot three, like getting more spacing out there for the offense is going to help him and everyone else score. And, you know, Scotty is, is so good as a team player that, you know, getting him the any kind of advantage where defenses have to guard him more and tighter on the perimeter is just going to help everyone else as well. So, you know, I'm always going to say shooting for pretty much everyone, unless you're like one of the elite shooters in the league. It's it's a skill that if you improve on it even a little bit, it makes you so much more valuable. And Scotty, you know, is shown flashes of being a good jump shooter, but, you know, he really needs to make, you know, up the volume and be, more consistent so for me it's got to be a shooting yeah i'm at the point though where i'm just very confident that it's going to improve like, i remember when he got drafted we we're like oh he can't even shoot his jumper's broken and then you see him shoot and it's like this is fine he's shooting 31 percent from three on the season and like he looks pretty confident in his release it's smooth like this is just gonna get better <laughs> i'm so confident in him being a superstar it's uh it's exciting yeah. times. <laughs> and I feel like, it, you know, the way that he's going to be a star is going to be so unique and different from the way other other players are stars. And like he doesn't have the traditional sort of like ISO scoring game. It's more mm-hmm. like a, you know, mismatch, passing, you know, making smart plays and cuts. And, you know, it, it, I think he's just going to be an, a joy to play with and that he's such a Swiss army knife that he can really just work within, you know, a smart team. And that's what the Raptors have. So I think he, uh, you know, it's a perfect fit for what they need. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We got a second email from Nathan. Part two starts off with Aaron, stick to your guns on your grade on Precious. Precious is a second year player. Right now, this is a time for development, not production. Your grade on Precious should reflect that, similarly to how it does for Scotty. If you believe that Precious's corner three is real and he can be a 35% three-point shooter, then suddenly this season deserves an A. Precious is looking more and more like a 22-year-old version of prime P.J. Tucker. Interesting comparison to P.J. Tucker. Uh, yeah, that's a bold comparison. Um, I don't think Precious has the quite has the defense that pj tucker does they're, they're different players and certainly precious is a better athlete but uh yeah i mean i think if i had to do the grade again this week with how he's played this weekend you know three-point shooting continuing to look really nice yeah i might i might stick with the grade that i had but at the time it was it was the sample size was small enough that i think ben had some good points yeah yeah this week has 
proved me wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm also more confident in his shooting now. Uh, I believe it a little bit more after this week, even though it is still a relatively small sample size. And like it is, it is. We can't get too carried away. Yeah, because we like let's remember last season, Chris Boucher shot I think 38 percent from three last season and for the whole season, decent yeah. volume. Yeah, like for the whole season. Yeah. And looked like this great three-point shooter. And then this season, we see that come tumbling down. And I mean, I was always skeptical of that because his form is so unorthodox. But Precious does not have the same concerns. His shot looks very clean and crisp. Um, I'm more confident in this being consistent. But we still need to see it for a longer stretch of time than what we've seen so far. It's just at this point, it is very promising. And I mean, I think we should... I think there is a... There is a kernel of truth in this email, though, that we need to talk about here. It's like he is a developing player. He's only 22 Mm -hmm. and it's the second year in the league. And we have seen a big jump from last year in what he's trying to do on offense with the heat. He was very much a garbage man on offense. And now with the Raptors, like (laughs) there's been growing pains on offense, certainly. But the shooting, like he barely took any threes last year. And now all of a sudden he's taking them with confidence and he's driving like we're we're seeing so much potential here if this all turns into something that he can do consistently and picking his moments all of a sudden like the the comparison to pj tucker i think is putting way too low of a ceiling on what he could be yeah absolutely he has so much more to his game than than pj tucker does and you know the three-point shooting what, what gives me hope is that other teams think it's real because they're starting to guard him at the three-point line and, and send guys out at him when he is open and catching the ball, which indicates that they're scouting and they're seeing that they're seeing that, oh, yeah, the three-point shooting is real, or at least it's real enough that, that on this Raptors team you want to guard it, uh, which you know gives, gives me more hope that other scouts and, and NBA teams think it's real too, which is sort of more consensus building. Which is which is great, and you're absolutely right. Precious has so much more to his game than, than PJ Tucker does. He can he's a great athlete, and he can drive well. And his finishing at the rim is pretty terrible still, but with his strength, you and you know you and with how he's how he's developed this year, you'd hope that more coaching would help him sort of see when he can and can't get to the rim and needs to pass the ball. But you know, there's still so much to work with here. Yeah, and it just his mentality too. You can tell that he wants to be a star player, right? He's not he's not shy. And with his athleticism and this kind of like this baseline talent of like hey, his his jumper doesn't seem to be broken, all these things. Uh it's like, okay, it it seems like he has that hunger and you that's a big part of what you need to be a star player. Like Gary Trent has that too where he's like not shy of taking shots and being this guy. And these players are all young, and they can grow into these roles. And so, I don't know. It, it like all this core is looking more and more promising by the day. Like with Precious, Scotty, Gary Trent, and then like OG, and then you have these vets around them. This is these guys are all taking big leaps this year, and all of a sudden, yeah, I don't know. This I'm so much higher on this team now than I was like a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah, the young guys in particular, you know, Scotty's you know, stepping up, Precious is stepping up, right? And those are those are really the two young guys that that you know matter on this team in the sense of like you know we don't really know who they are yet. And like Gary Trent's only twenty three too, isn't he? Yeah, but I think we kind of know what he is. He's a gunner, right? And we've seen him. We've seen the defense come. 
you know, so that's there. But you know, I think he's he's just sort of athletically limited to being a gunner, and you know, he's done awesome work on that so far this season. But I just I don't know if there's much more to come for him as much as there's just going to be like consistency. Yeah, but I I feel like he's getting a little bit better at getting into the mid range and finding like more open shots. I mean, it's it's come and goes. It's, it's been tough to tell with his recent streak of play where the shot just is so streaky. Um, but even in his last game when he wasn't hitting shots, it felt like he was trying to do a little bit more facilitating and playmaking and they're running him around some pick and rolls and he was looking to pass on a few of them. And that's just something we've never seen from him before. And it, it didn't really work out particularly well. He had a couple turnovers and it, like it wasn't clean. But that's something that is just kind of like the OG thing where it's just something he started doing this year. And, you know, you can't be too hard on him when it's the first time he's tried to do it. And so I think there's still room for growth as a ball handler there. I think the, the, it's it's minor stuff where it's, you know, closing it, like, you know, attacking closeouts. And then when he does, you know, do a pick and roll, it's it's not just blindly shooting every time. It's maybe making a pass here or there. But I think they're, mm-hmm. they're, his game is largely known and a known quantity at this point. I don't really see it changing a lot. But, you know, whereas, whereas you know, Scotty and Precious, like, I think their games still have a long way to go for what they're going to end up being in the league. Right. No, that's fair. That's, that's, that's very valid. All right. Let's get to our final email here from our god, Alex. Uh, so it's just watched the last minutes of the 76ers Nets game this week. And that was, that was an interesting game. And I had a realization. Embiid isn't a complete fraud. However, what separates Embiid from other max salary players who you actually want on your team is their ability to perform under pressure. Embiid put up zero points on his return to Toronto against the Quilas Raptors. In big games, when both teams uh, go in knowing it's do or die, Embiid is a walking liability. My question this week is, who is a bigger liability in the clutch, Embiid or DeRozan? He sent us links to their elimination game uh, box score stats, and uh, he wants to leave us with a closing thought. I think DeMar puts up better numbers in clutch elimination elimination games than Embiid does on much worse teams. Love the pod. Thanks, guys, from our god Alex. This is a fiery, hot, like, you know, scotch bonnet level take here. <laughs> Maybe a ghost pepper take here. Um... Like, okay. I mean, let's let's talk about the 76ers Nets game a little bit. I don't know if you watched the game, Aaron. I watched. I watched the first, the first half. half and yeah, <laughs> it was a blowout at that point. Um, the Nets just hit every shot, and the 76ers didn't play particularly well. Their defense was pretty bad, and they also just didn't really hit many shots. But even in that first half, you could see how unguardable Embiid was. He drew so many fouls. And it's just like he's impossible to guard at this point. And so I just like he's not a liability. And so the question is like who's a bigger liability in the clutch? Embiid isn't a liability. I don't think DeRozan, the way he's played this season, is a liability either. Like whether they can perform up to the same level as the other superstars in the league. Like is Embiid going to be as good as Durant in the clutch? Well, he doesn't have the track record to show it. So like at this point you'd say no, right? But... I don't like nothing that Embiid's doing now. I I think like won't translate to the postseason. Maybe a little bit of the foul baiting will go down, but he like he is just so big and so skilled that he's a mismatch against everybody. Yeah, and just 
defensively, he brings so much value. He is like one of the best defensive players in the league with his rim protection and his rebounding. And you know, he can he can come out on a pick and roll and he's fast enough to be able to catch up to the guard at the rim. You know, he, he's he's an eraser. And we saw that, you know, in the series that they played against Toronto where Kawhi hit that uh, that winner in game seven is that they the 76ers just got absolutely killed in all the non-Embiid minutes, but they were a huge plus in the Embiid minutes. And Embiid wasn't doing anything on offense that time. It was all just his defensive presence stopping the Raptors from being able to get anything at the rim. So I don't think, if, if Embiid is playing hard on defense, I don't think there's any situation in which he's a liability. So I, don't, I, I can't really engage with this, whereas DeMar is in any situation a liability on defense and has to be doing lots of good stuff on offense in order to have any value so yeah that's a great point when demar's struggling on offense he's useless yeah and when Embiid is struggling in offense he's still insanely valuable so yeah. I, don't, I i can't get on board with this take uh and if we look at the numbers that he sent us right it's like it's such a small sample size it's seven games across you know like many many years right and the, the problem with DeMar has been, in general, his postseason play, not specifically the elimination game play. And yeah. you know, with Embiid, like, we see, like, he had, you know, that the bubble performance against the Celtics when when Ben Simmons got hurt, right? It's like, th- does that really matter? You know, and, and all the other... That series over from the start. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, and it's just like, yeah. the, you know, all his games, like, the, the stuff against Toronto... Um, and the year before that against Boston, like all his games, it's just the plus minuses are absolutely insanely high for him, even though he's not shooting well. It's just, and he gets to the free throw line so much too. You know, it's, uh, I, I can't get on board the uh, Embiid sucks in, in, in clutch or elimination games. I can't get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think. It's too much Embiid slander. Alex, you're going to have to come around and appreciate him at some point. Certainly. I think there's a player that on the 76ers that does deserve a lot of big game slander, though. It's not Embiid. It's James Harden. Yeah, he was the one who really laid an egg in this Nets game as well. Like this game that everyone was watching. Harden was awful. Um, and we've seen him disappear in the playoffs and be... A big part of why the Houston teams really struggled. Yeah, he's also, like, he's had some great games and some great series in the playoffs. But just, if you look at it on balance, he's one of the players that, you know, he's an elite regular season player, and he just gets a little bit worse in the playoffs. I don't think we can say that for Embiid. I think he's as good in the regular season as in the playoffs. I don't know that he becomes better in the playoffs, but I think he's as good. Um, but it, But certainly James Harden, I think, gets a little bit worse in the playoffs, which... You know, when you're talking about a guy who's won MVPs, you know, that's that's not great. Yeah, yeah. Certainly there's going to be a lot of pressure on the 76ers in these playoffs to perform because on paper, they look like maybe the most talented team in the East. And if they struggle here, it's going to be a lot of question marks. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and yeah, the, the hardened contract situation will be really spicy as well. Uh, yeah, I can't, and I, yeah, I think we we should talk a little bit about the standings here at the top of the East because yeah. like we're getting closer and closer to playoff time, and so right now like Miami has a two and a half game lead on first, which 
At this point is a pretty sizable advantage. I don't want to say they're locked in yet, but it's tough to see any team catching up to Miami for first right now. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that is in part because, you know, the other team that the, the team that's closest to Milwaukee, right? And if you look at the way the play-in is right now, you know, it's like it's the, the three teams that look like they're going to be getting actually there's you know, there's so many teams that are looking at like in the plan, but you have Cleveland, Toronto, Brooklyn, and Atlanta, right? And if if you know, if Atlanta's rolling, do you want to play them in the first round? Absolutely not. If Brooklyn's rolling, do you want to play them in the first round? Absolutely not. And you just have no idea where where those teams are gonna end up with the seven or eight seed, which means if you're at the top you know, there's no real incentive to go for the one or the two seed because you don't really know who you're going to match up against. So I don't think that there's any big push to, to get the one seed because you're going to dodge a team at seven that, that, you, that you're really scared of. So, you know, there, there just isn't a huge incentive at the top to, to go for that. And then I think those are, those are the really the only two teams that, that are in the mix for the one seed right now. Well, the only incentive is to have home court throughout the playoffs. Right, or like throughout the eastern side of the playoffs. But you look at how, how, like, is Miami the best team in the East? No. Is Milwaukee the best team in the East? No. Like, they could be. But you look at how much of a bloodbath these playoffs are going to be, and I think mm-hmm. you look at, oh, you know, the one seed, you know, we're going to be playing them in the conference finals, right? Like, so we would really like to take it from them. I don't think Milwaukee looks at Miami and is like, oh, you know, we need home court advantage in that series, right? Like... <laughs> But then, like, teams two through five here are all within one game. Milwaukee's two and a half games back. Then it's the 76ers and Bulls are tied in the standings, both three games back. And then Boston's half a game behind them here. And Boston has been playing maybe the best basketball in the league for the last couple of months. And so you have this surging Boston team, which I think has forced themselves into the conversation for being in that top tier of teams in the East, like that Derek white edition seems to really have like crystallized the identity of this team. They're this defensive monster where they basically don't play any weak defenders. And like Jason Tatum is rolling. Jalen Brown's a good second fiddle. Like they get, they get enough down on offense that just like this defensive juggernaut can kind of carry them. And so with them there, these teams two through five, like if you're looking in the first round here, that if you're in that four or five spot, you're in trouble because that's going to be a bloodbath first round. Whereas like you look at if you dodge Brooklyn, Brooklyn's the only other team I think the top teams are scared of. It's like if you're facing Cleveland or Toronto, you feel kind of comfortable with that as a matchup. And Atlanta is, I don't know, their defense has been so bad this year that like, do you really trust them? They're in the 10 spot right now. Like the record is 32 and 34. And is their ceiling high? Yes. But at this point, do you trust them to get to that ceiling? I think they're a scary team because their their defense did improve a lot in the playoffs last year. And you know, when they when they have everyone engaged and healthy, this is certainly a team that I think in the preseason you would have picked as one of sort of the in the group of top teams in the East, mm-hmm. and I see I see no reason for that to be different now just because they've struggled in this regular season. I think doesn't doesn't mean that they can't turn it up in the playoffs. So, you know, I I'd be I'd not want to play them if I was <laughs> if I was in one of those one or two seats. You know, I think you're certainly hoping for Cleveland or Toronto or, or Charlotte to come out there. 
I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I think Atlanta's case is different where, you know, like you, I think that logic makes sense to me when you have a veteran team that's kind of not pumping or like they're, they're pumping the brakes a little bit in the regular season on defense and they're just focused on staying healthy. The Hawks are a much younger team and like Clint Capella's regressed this season. And I don't think it's just an effort problem. I, I do feel like structurally some things are broken defensively for this team and I, I'm not convinced that it's just going to be uh, oh we're going to try harder in the playoffs and that's going to magically fix everything I think you're still worried because Trey Young is a superstar and you know he can make magic happen in the playoffs and absolutely win around here but just compared to like the top five teams in the east I think they'd be at a pretty sizable disadvantage going into those series I agreed, but I think they're, you know, if they're the eight seed, they're way stronger than the eight seed typically is, even though the record mm-hmm. is 500. No, for sure. And I think the East, the East is just going to be so tough. Um, there isn't going to be any easy first round opponent here because even Cleveland and Toronto, like if Cleveland's healthy, they're just a really good team. And Toronto, the way they're playing this last little stretch here, these last three games, if you know, I th- I think still they'd be probably the juiciest first-round opponent for these other teams because, <laughs> like, we haven't seen a strategy of just offensive rebounding <laughs> work <laughs> in a playoff series. Uh, so we, I feel like these teams probably think they can adjust to that and just really be conscious on boxing out and kind sure. of doing some things. To and and some teams, it's like, advantage, oh, but. if Milwaukee has Brook Lopez healthy, they can play for, like, Lopez and Giannis at the same time, and then just, like, what are the Raptors supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think these teams would look at the Raptors and be like, okay, like we're gonna have to play hard, but we should win this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel so bad for Cleveland right now. They've had such a good regular season, and if they dropped the plans, mm-hmm. like you know, with with Jared Allen being hurt, if he's not back, this team is just it's just I don't know there I think there's a real chance that they end up missing the playoffs which is just a, would be so sad for them but you know they yeah. still have to be excited about you know how the season went but just to not make the playoffs would be so devastating because they were they were in the one spot for a while mm-hmm. yeah and they've had they've had such a great season it's just their injuries they would be yeah. getting yeah I mean yeah Colin Sexton's been hurt all year Ricky Rubio who was playing great for yeah. them got hurt and is out all season like they've they've been a team that's really been hurt by injuries and have kept, kept plugging along but yeah the future is so bright there that I, I think the fans you know is it's a it's a minor setback right now that long term like their their core is scary yep agreed I think uh that's all we have uh for this episode so if you have any questions you want to send us, please by all means do. You can just RaptorsReviewMail at gmail.com. That's RaptorsReviewMail, all one word, at gmail.com. Bye bye.